The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. The global technology and climate elite gathered at two big shindigs in Europe this week. Our columnists check in the latest from Glasgow and Lisbon. Tune in. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of the mighty Reuters News. I'm coming to you from Glasgow, Scotland this week. I'm here with my colleague George Hay for the COP26, the big UN climate conference. It's been a heady few days as world leaders and business execs arrived with new pledges to limit carbon emissions with the idea of keeping the planet from frying much beyond one and a half degrees Celsius. We've seen lots of commitments to reduce methane emissions, limit deforestation, phase out coal power, and a whole bunch of other stuff plus lots of money that's been promised to fight the problem. If all this is followed through on, there's a chance to keep global warming to around 1.8 degrees, according to the International Energy Agency. That's not super, but it's far better than the two and a half or so that, that was predicted before Glasgow, and we still have a few days to come. George and I discussed this and other COP tidbits, including a few whinges about the disorganization in this week's episode. Then we pass the mic to EMEA editor Peter Thal Larson and Karen Kwok, who attended the Web Summit in Lisbon, the annual jamboree for tech companies, entrepreneurs, investors, regulators, and other hangers-on. They tell us how the event, which attracted 40,000 attendees, shows that even the people who make their living from tech are eager to get back face-to-face -face mingling after the pandemic. Give a listen. George, it is great to see you here in a windowless conference room in Glasgow, Scotland. You and I are both, we've been here for a couple of days now for the, the COP26, the big UN climate conference. Um, we won't complain too much about the organization. Not too uh, much. Not too much, but yeah. we have to get a little of that in here because it has definitely been quite a quite an, a, a challenge. But, but more importantly, what's happened here? You've been running around talking to a lot of these climate folks. Uh, I have too, and it does seem... When you're in the nitty gritty, it's hard to know the big picture, what's actually happened. But there, there have been yeah. quite a few important developments. Should yeah, we go I mean, them? yeah. So I mean, we're, you know, we're only halfway, less than halfway through uh, COP anyway. So there's plenty more to come potentially. But I mean, compared to where we were at the start of the week, where everyone was quite down on the whole thing, uh, whereby you had the obvious things with Xi Jinping wasn't even going to turn up, neither was president. Putin. China, yeah. yeah. So China, you know, China, biggest emitter in the world by a long way. Um, they're not turning up. That was a pretty, a pretty big downer. But since then, we've had um, we've had a number of things which are not kind of massive, massive, massive wins, but they're they're all kind of incremental, kind of okay. It's pretty good. Well, should we go so, through some of those? Yeah. So we got like. Well, um, well actually, before that, let's yeah. step back because one of the things you you and I were talking about before this is is the IEA has come out with. Uh, yeah, you know, an update yeah. to what it thinks into sort of the global warming question, which yeah. which is quite positive. Yeah, so like the kind of you know global warming suckometer, really. It was just like how bad are we, <laughs> how bad are things going to get? Um, so we started off at basically, you know, we need we need to keep warming to one point five degrees Celsius, and they said prior to the conference it was like two point seven, which is you know that's really material problematic stuff, obviously. So. As a result of all the pledges that have kind of come in, some of them this week and some kind of stuff that came in immediately before the conference, I think, they've, they've said today that it's actually gone down to 1.8, which is still problematic. Uh, well, there's two, two issues. There's still problematic warming. It needs to be lower than that. And fundamentally, 
you can have pledges, but you need to do them, and people might so pledge and not do So this is based on on updates. Whether, that you know, various updates. The, the, yeah. the, they have said that the the planet won't go much more than one point eight degrees yeah. by twenty. Well, it's, it's just like it's in 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 the round. It's just like in general. Yeah, in general, it won't go above. Now, now the Paris so, the Paris Agreement was to keep it at two well, or no more. It was. It was certainly no more than two, and it was the wording was something like substantially below, or aspirational below. one point five, and, and we were in, yes, and and then that morphed into let's one point five is more important because um, that's damaging stuff after that, and that's so, what everyone. So going into this week yeah. in, in Glasgow, yeah. people have been saying keep one point five alive. That seems yeah, to be the yeah, in the, exactly. In, in 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 a way, there's a lot of kind of the lot that's happened in, over the last week is kind of interesting lesson in expectations management because the thing with China is that even though they haven't turned up you know they they actually set their net zero target um, last December and that was a big or last year you know, at the end of last year and that was seen as a massive thing because they they they're the biggest emitter in the world so it's like we will be net zero by 2060 and now I spoke to a kind of a senior uh, climate advisor for one of the governments um, uh, this week and uh, and they were saying well like you know if they, you know, if they, if they didn't have to start this week, people would have been like, amazing, amazing. Because India got a lot of love for, for saying they would be net zero by 2070. Um, but they announced it, they were smart enough to announce it this week. And therefore it was like... So they got kudos for that. So they got Modi kudos. was here, Prime Minister and he, of and India. And he, yeah, he did help things Even by though actually, 2070, actually turning up as well. So. To, to, but the point, most people went, oh, 2070, I mean, that is... But of course, they didn't have a target. Before. They didn't have a target, and China and India—it's more—it's proportionally more significant that they have one because uh, they are such a big part of the emiss uh, emissions anyway, and their economies are growing very fast or relatively fast. So, you know, if they don't have one, then you, they become more and more of a problem. So the fact—so that was good news. China one actually, you know, if you just imagined <laughs> they announced it this week, everyone would have been cockahoot. But they just announced it before, so there's a bit of expectations management going on. Anyway. Poor expectations management, yeah, part of China. Poor, poor expectations. <laughs> yeah. But, but or, or, or equally, um, they knew. Well, this is much more likely. They knew exactly what they were what they were doing, but they didn't want to kind of necessarily, you know, give the West a big win. You know, because you know that's effectively how it kind of comes across. Perhaps. Right. So Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, said, well, oh, Boris we'll Johnson, Johnson and Biden, they're, they're, you know, Biden, there's all sorts of yeah. other reasons why America and the UK are, um, you know, uh, tensions with China. So, you know, it's, it's not like they get put on the side. So anyway, like there are a number of things this week to do with deforestation, to do with coal, um, uh, and um, and to do with uh, <laughs> methane even. Um, well, let's let's go through some of these things. So we had yes, um, so, so methane is an interesting yeah. one. I mean, I think you, you you had a pretty big announcement by developed nations yep. and others to reduce uh, emissions of methane, which is clearly yeah. the worst of the greenhouse gases. Yeah, it's the most intense. It's much more intensive than carbon dioxide. So it's like carbon dioxide, you know, on stilts, and it's just like um, you need to kind of do something about that pretty quickly because um, it's uh, it's very intensive. So they're going to reduce it by thirty percent by twenty thirty, which is uh, compared to twenty twenty levels, which is pretty good. But it's you know it's not the be all and end all. But it's like that's one of those incremental things where I don't think anyone's just kind of falling out of bed about how amazing it is. But it is good. They've got another thing on deforestation, uh, uh, pledging to end deforestation by twenty thirty. That sounds great. Apart from they they've they had similar pledges before where um, nothing has happened. So. Again, that's probably good if it happens, but might not. 
and yeah there's kind of other things which are kind of quite positive but i think uh, and i suppose the one the, the one today was another example of the trend where it's like coal you've got some quite surprising people like poland big coal user they're pledging to kind of you know exit this is this uh, commitment i think 23 countries or something had uh, committed to phase out coal power. Yeah, and, and, and this is always going to be, ahead of COP, it's always going to be a big thing. Coal coal is like coal is like um, 20% of all the emissions you have. You have 50 billion annually. Coal is about 10. 50 billion tons of carbon dioxide. So coal is about 10 of that. So it was a big moving part. Everyone knew before COP that that was going to be a focus. So this agreement, and, again, that, and that's that includes Indonesia, Vietnam, Poland. Yeah, so it, it includes a lot of um, you know some pretty uh, chunky players there. So if you want to be kind of optimistic, you're great. They're they're kind of thinking about getting out. They place to do that. The big downside is it doesn't include China. China basically has half the world's coal fleet, and um, uh, they also have a massive energy crisis at the moment. So they are kind of shoveling more coal in in order to make sure the lights don't go out. So, but but you know, China and the U.S. have said that they will they will end financing or yeah, supportive which, of, of of which of which which again and the, the, the financing the financing of the coal abroad, which is a, a tangible part of the the stuff that's on the block, the new coal stuff. Which so that's again that's a very good thing, but again it, it's a bit like the twenty sixty pledge, the net zero pledge. They didn't they they announced that before COP. Again, if they'd announced that at COP, it would have been like people would have just Heroes. been like people would be high fiving. You know, Xi Jinping would be the toast of town, and you know there may have been a reason, as I'm saying, for why they didn't want to do that. Yeah. And and importantly, and this is a this is a key, probably the key reason for optimism is just like they do have some kind of scope. You know, it's I don't think that we should we should say okay, he didn't turn up to COP. Xi Jinping didn't turn up to COP. And they didn't really do many big new pledges. I don't think we should therefore assume that um, oh, well, you know, China doesn't care about climate change. I think, I think that would be the wrong way to think about this. Um, so, you know, all in all, all those things are pretty good. Uh, well, you then, had so, just on the coal thing, you had HSBC fidelity. So it wasn't just governments. You had this whole other, uh, you know, the, the finance sector. There is does seem what's interesting to me is watching the sort of the lockstep that's going on here. Yeah. So, so governments. Yeah, everyone's talking about that. That, that whole. Right, public, private, see, public. Fi- pu- private, public, and private. Uh, privates were the capitalists. I mean, if, if you you go back to your piece that you wrote um, earlier this week about uh, the G fans, yeah, the Glo- Glasgow Global Financial Alliance. Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Right, with- and this is the thing led by uh, former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney, future right. potential Prime Minister of Canada, as you say in your piece. <laughs> I, I seem to be kind of arguing <laughs> that he will be. <laughs> but yeah, um, but but it, it's quite interesting because. That that is a hun- marshalling of something like 130 trillion dollars of, yeah. of resources, and, and I talked to uh, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America. So it was like, okay, 130 trillion. That's that's like putting up a bunch of names, and then these are the balance sheets. Doesn't yeah. actually mean that money goes in, but he had a pretty persuasive argument for how that do- how ch- large sums of that will be. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, I think I think there was a certain amount of misreporting of the as if it was just literally. 130 trillion of loans. Yeah, here it goes. Ta-da. It's done. Um, that's that's not the that's not the vibe because it's clearly that's just the, the, all the balance sheets stacked on top of each other. But the point that presumably uh, Brian Moynihan, Moynihan and other people are making is that you know 
if you get all these guys to commit to net zero and more importantly a key probably the most important bit of g fans is that you are uh, committed to shorter term stuff you, you have to do something by 2030 you can't just mess around and then just hope something turns up in the late 2040s you have to kind of do something and the point that is actually valid is uh you know if actually that's what they're doing then you will get a huge amount of resources kind of focused on green transition stuff and more skeptical about coal and more so so all that kind of stuff is good the whole as i the main point i was trying to make in that piece other than carney should be as a prime minister is actually like uh, well, you weren't arguing. For I wasn't. Arguing. You were saying he, no, he, he might, may want to do it, which will leave G that. fans without yes, exactly, its, uh, exactly. its but, leading. But like the, the the point, the the key point in that piece really is just uh, it, the job is really only half done because Carney has kind of got all these. He's, he's done he's done a very good job getting these people into the tent and like you know shoving them in. But the big question is the kind of pivot to you know business models that are basically green is not going to be. It's going to be a pretty bumpy road. For some of the bigger banks and they might not want to go as fast as he wants them to go right. and they might kind of drag their feet depending on what's happening so you need like. someone to, with the whip hand but uh, you need you need you just need someone to keep the pressure on and make sure that um basically over the next 18 months the likes of jp morgan will be kind of saying how their chunk of the 130 trillion is going to be directed you know what they're going to do what does that meaningfully mean yeah um, and uh it needs to be good because if it if it sucks then actually all this great stuff that people are kind of talking about speaking of things so that suck so we this is the part where we complain right yeah okay I'm so looking forward to this so it, it it has been i mean it, it's been quite interesting now very difficult to, to the, the, it's taken an hour an hour and a half to get into the conference every morning yeah which is really so good, thrown right? things into into uh, disarray yeah lots of people who are meant to be on on panels who didn't make their panels yeah <laughs> well because yeah i mean the, the 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 main problem they've had and you have to feel you have to feel some sympathy with the organizer here because trying to organize this thing and socially distance everyone is not um possible really um it's not me oh were they trying to socially distance people i well, didn't notice the whole, well so exactly but this is the point this is, this is the point where they perhaps deserve a bit more shade is the kind of like well uh, i can understand why in the main uh, entrance to the blue zone which is where the kind of stuff is going down uh, they've got a big tent where they're kind of you know doing security and, they, and they're trying to make sure that everyone they aren't the the, the, the the logic is they're trying to make sure that everybody um that only a certain number of people go in there because in order to maintain right. kind of COVID safety, but the <laughs> effect of that is there's a balloon effect where there's a massive scrub outside said tent, where presumably uh, it's the global, the, the the best global super spreader. Well, this is what will be interesting. So, and I, you know, so I've been talking you know, rather to silly. people like, okay, so this is a lot of for many people. This is the first major event that they've been to, conference or, or mm, gathering. Mm. And so it's it's there is this sort of oh I haven't been there's pent up demand people mm. are very excited to be out and about and I mean yeah. I don't know if you've gone to any of the receptions and cocktails and yeah, things yeah 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 and so the, that's that it's sort of that almost like this thing you see in Davos or the Milken Institute or these kinds of things yeah. they are coming back I think the it's probably the dif- the difference is that um like there's there's been a, a, a huge demand for Glasgow um, hotel beds and an inadequate supply. Which, Do you have a window which, in your hotel room? Um, I I have um, sort of a skylight, which 
Oh, that's not so bad. Stop complaining. No, but you have to kind of look up quite a long tunnel. Okay, well, I, I don't even. I'm not <laughs> but, even in Glasgow. I'm in Edinburgh. Yeah. And, well, which, I, and by I the feel, way, I certainly, on the other side of the great country of Scotland. I, well, yeah, I certainly feel um, uh, sorry for uh, quite a lot of people. Didn't you because, say you had you, you heard a really sad story? Well, well one of uh, a PR of a, an, an unnamed uh, uh, financial group was saying that uh, where they were staying, there was like kind of. A load of beds shoved into room where there should only have been one, including one of them was a hospital bed. <laughs> Basically, that, well, there I were mean, just people kind of like, you know, you know, you know, all kind of shoved, shoved well, together. But I think that's an that's an appropriate uh, that's appropriate for the post pandemic era. Well, maybe it's just cutting time, yeah, after the super spreader event. But whatever, it's just a, it's a, it's a strange. Uh, well, it's a strange kind of um, gathering. Enjoy, put it mildly. enjoy the rest of it. I'll George, try. You're here until next uh, next Thursday. Next also. Thursday, yeah. I'll, I, I'm afraid I won't be here as long as you. And so I uh, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be no worries. <laughs> Bye. Hello and uh, welcome back to the Views Room. Uh, I'm Peter Thalarsen, a MIAM editor, and I'm coming to you this week from the other big conference in Europe this week, uh, which has also attracted 40,000 people. But I think we can safely say that this conference that we're at, unlike the COP26 conference in Glasgow, which has been grabbing a lot of the headlines, we can safely say this conference uh, in Lisbon is warmer and uh, definitely better organized. So uh, we're here at the Web Summit in Lisbon, which is an annual jamboree of tech companies, entrepreneurs, startups, venture capitalists, journalists, footballers, various other personalities and other hangers-on. And um, uh, it's definitely uh, a clear sense that uh, uh, after the pandemic and after uh, this was suspended last year, um, it's back with a bang. And I'm here with Karen Kwok, our, uh, our new Breaking Views columnist. Hi, Karen. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Very well, very well. And um, I guess for a lot of people here, it's the first big conference that they've attended since being locked, since emerging from their uh, their spare rooms and their kitchen tables and <laughs> where else that they've been, uh, been been spending the pandemic. Um, your first time here. Uh, give us your give us your impressions. Well, first of all, very excited. The first time I see so many people in one room under one roof after nearly two years of being locked in the room. It was actually a little bit overwhelming because uh, uh, well, a lot of handshakes. Haven't seen hugs so far, but uh, it's good to see people around, really, and it's good to see, like, talk to people and actually putting face to name and so on. And and it's, it's great so far. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, as, as someone said to me, it's like uh, it's like it was before, but with masks. Um, seems yes. to be the uh, the conclusion. I mean, it's slightly different because uh, even though there are a lot of people here, there are forty thousand people here. That's a significantly less than we're here uh, two years ago when I last came. At that time it was 70,000, yep. which at that point was a new record. The 40,000 I think is, is deliberately reduced uh, the numbers. So Paddy Gosgrave who, who, who started Web Summit and, and his team decided to sort of shrink the numbers for, for COVID reasons. Um, but they, they sold out the tickets. And um, I think, yeah, I think the recurring theme that we've had really of the people that we've been talking to is how excited they are to be at a conference, uh, meeting other people in real time, talking, having coffee, having drinks, uh, uh, and just sort of generally being in the same space, which, you know, 
is interesting because actually these companies are the ones that are at the very vanguard of you know taking life online. There are software companies, there are uh, uh, venture capitalists investing in all kinds of new sort of tech startups. There are people developing apps, people developing you know so everything really for 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 an online life, and yet they're still coming here to Lisbon to get together. How do you? How do you, what do you think that is behind that? Well, I think it's mostly uh, people are bored at home and they really need the human interaction to talk to um, the entrepreneur, their investment, and it's just to talk to people directly, right? Like to have that human touch and interaction, and that is very important. While at the same time, of course, um, a lot of them are mentioning during our uh, conversation is that they kind of treasure this. It's going to be a hybrid model, definitely. Like, uh, if people are going to mitigate between uh, virtual, like the Zoom call and so on, but at the same time, they still need to meet people in order to get the connection together. Yeah, yeah, and they're willing to get on a plane and come to uh, come to Lisbon to do that. Some high-profile people here, uh, Craig Federici, who's, who's an executive of Apple, who's been leading a lot of their drive on privacy, is uh, doing a big keynote here this afternoon. But obviously, there are also some people. Who didn't come? Yes. Uh, who were the Who were the big uh, Who were the big absentees? Well, obviously, the uh, that's the Nick Clegg, um, a former British politician yeah. who is uh, at the moment at Facebook. So he's supposed to be uh, in here in Lisbon um, in, on a panel, but in the end he cancelled his trip and uh, his colleague, other colleagues as well, and um, they decided to just to do a video interview in the end. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing that they didn't show up, but also disappointing that he chose to do his video interview from what appeared to be his sort of book-lined study uh, in, at his house in, uh, I guess, somewhere on the west coast of the US. Not in the metaverse, yep. which, is, which is what <laughs> Facebook has been talking about to try and maybe to try and distract people uh, from various things, including most noticeably uh, this whistleblower, uh, Francis Hogan, who's, who's, who's had a very big and slick campaign um, uh, to uh, alert people to the dangers of Facebook which she observed uh, while working there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that, that, that Facebook chose not to come, other people did choose to come. Has, has the metaverse generally, I still don't really understand what it is to be <laughs> honest, but, but has there been much of a, has there been much discussion about it? Have you come across that a lot? I think so. Uh, so uh, I had an uh, interview with uh, CEO of Magic Leap which is a startup in, in the US, uh, which specialized in making augmented reality glasses uh, and um, this kind of technology for defense industry to medical industry and so on. And they are- So um, these are like regular glasses that you put on? Yeah, and yeah. And then what? They do both. They do regular glasses. Uh, they're partnering with CSCO. Mm -hmm. uh, to build kind of like a 3D version when you're doing like a conference call, they're doing that. And at the same time, they're also doing those for professional like defense industry, for example, like uh, the VR version of it. Right. Right. And this, um, and they are kind of, if you think about it, they're probably like benefiting from the whole like metaverse vibe that Facebook actually current, right now we should call them meta Oh, Company. yes, good point. Yes. yes. <laughs> Nick Clegg, as Nick Clegg kept saying, exactly. you know, here at Meta, he, he was very on message. I'm less on Meta message. But yeah. um, yes, for the, for the sake of clarity, uh, the company is now called Meta. 
Yeah, but I think that the whole metaverse is still sitting on the fact that uh, it's in like a building from the fact that it's a virtual reality world and within gaming. So we also met this guy uh, that uh, builds NFT, like non non fungible token uh, of this of this trading sport car. So rare. He was also talking a lot about the metaverse, right? Like how people can trade uh, the to, to buy trading cards and uh, play games within the, the the games that they are building in. Yeah, it's a sort of metaverse that. It yeah, is. I was. I have to say, this is a chap called uh, Nicolas Julien, who's uh, yeah, as you said, the CEO of this company. Which I originally, when I, because he's French, and I, I assumed the company was like some sort of Latin name, like Sorare or something like that. But actually, <laughs> as he explained to us, it's just like so rare, um, as in rare, you know, as in not common. Um, and what, yeah, I, actually, to be honest, the, talking to him was the first time that I got uh, some sense of like, okay, I can sort of see how this makes sense. And what they're doing is they're creating these like, Virtual panini stickers, which and if people, for people who don't know what panini stickers are, they're like little, they were like collectible cards of, of uh, football players, European football players, um, and so this they've sort of done this digitally, and these uh, they're like these you can collect these sort of digital tokens of football players uh, with various degrees of rarity, and then you can buy them and you can trade them between yourselves, and you can also use them to like assemble a team, which can then it's like a fancy soccer team playing in, you know, and then they get points according to how they've performed in uh, in real life. Um, and they're working with, with clubs and they're working with uh, leagues and stuff to do this. And I have to say, that was kind of the first time I thought, okay, here's something that you can sort of see, like something you might want to own uh, or might want to spend some money on, which would sort of exist in a virtual space and, but have some sort of connection to other people and and, and that you might want to trade and so forth. So you can sort of see there the outlines of something that might, you, maybe you call it the metaverse, maybe you call it something else, but that, that might appeal to people. And it seems like from what he said, people are willing to spend tens and even hundreds of thousands of euros on these these tokens. Yes. So, um, you know. Because um, it's so rare. It's so rare, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is exactly right. Um, so, I mean, a couple other things, um, just in terms, of, in terms of some of the things that we've been, the people we've been meeting and stuff, what are, what are some of the other sort of uh, themes that have, uh, that have jumped out at you, Karen? I think the main thing is software, cloud investment, uh, basically because of this uh, whole pandemic and uh, people are working from home and even though they're coming out right now and uh, go meeting in the office, they're still operating in a, a hybrid model. There's like a search of need uh, in the software and cloud uh, infrastructure in order to allow that happen. So there's quite a lot of investment over there uh, mm -hmm. tr trying to uh, build the next unicorns uh, on this software and so, uh, so forth. And the second one is the, the growth of VC in Europe, which is kind of like uh, has been like um, losing ground compared to the US and it seems like they are now catching up and the gap between the Europe and the US feces are kind of like closing ground right now mainly because um, there are more and more mature businesses opening up in Europe right? yeah I think that, that was an interesting observation I mean I think I mean we step back a little bit talking to some of the venture capitalists that we talked to it's quite hard to discern sort of trends, partly because there's just so much money going into everything everywhere. Yeah. So um, it's actually quite difficult to sort of say, well, there's a clear trend, clear shift of money from 
the US to Europe. It's like, no, there's just money going in everywhere. And even in Europe, you could sort of say, well, is it going to into London or Berlin or Paris or Stockholm or even Lisbon. Um, to be honest, it's just there's a lot of money around, <laughs> and so and and but definitely there's a sense that the European companies are benefiting from this, that they are sort of competing on a on a on a global scale. That yeah. they're, they're actually, you know, we met Spotify uh, this morning. You know, they're operating in a sort of global industry from from Europe. Um, and also just you know interesting observations that even these kind of like very uh, uh, kind of cutting-edge startups yep. that are, um, uh, you know, at the forefront of, of doing stuff virtually and online and stuff. Even for them, in the pandemic, the penny is dropped that says, actually, we don't all need to be sitting in the same office in the same city in order to work together. And so we might have an office in Amsterdam or Paris, but, we, you know, there's someone we really want to hire, and they're in Dublin. Well, we'll open an office in Dublin and we'll hire them there. So... It's quite interesting that even for the people who consider themselves to be, you know, changing the world in terms of the, the, the you know, the advancement of the digital world, uh, even for them, the, the pandemic has, uh, has, has, has brought home a few truths uh, in terms of what they can do virtually. So I guess, you know, Karen, you know, we're, uh, we, we need to um, uh, go back to, uh, to, to the speed dating that we're doing with all these... Uh, <laughs> Lots of meeting. Yeah. I mean, some, I heard someone saying that um, you meet more people um, from Silicon Valley in Lisbon than in Silicon Valley. So yeah. it is a great place. So um, glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity to meet people. And I think it's uh, definitely for people who are in the conference business, uh, the fact that this this sort of um, you know incredibly uh, web-enabled uh, group of people um, uh, are, are willing to sort of congregate and want to congregate physically in a place like Lisbon um, is is probably a positive sign for the uh, for the future of the events business after the pandemic. Definitely. Great. Thank you, Karen. And Thank you, Peter. Uh, um, you know, look forward to reading uh, more about our insights from Lisbon and, and on the, uh, uh, the European tech world in general on uh, breakingviews.com. That's our show for the week. Thanks to our producers, Sharon Lamb, Katrina Hamlin, and to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get good, high-quality podcasts. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Arrivederci. Goodbye. <laughs>